Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 161. Jim Kinsey, cameraman Jimmy, making music, filming, and hunting the big sky country. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey folks, this is Dean Vanier with Northwoods Common Sense, and you're listening to my favorite and most informative hunting podcast show on the internet, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. I'm Trent Cole. And I'm Richie Elam from Blitz TV. And you're listening to Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. This is Jana Waller from Cellbound TV. And you're listening to my favorite podcast on Stitcher, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Dusty Phillips, your co-host of the Big Buck Race Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, I want to thank everybody for hitting the play button. And wherever you're listening at, we hope you enjoy the show and and I'm joined here with the host, Jay Scott. Jay, what's happening in New Hampshire, brother? The dew point's right around 70 degrees, and I am, I've shut off all the fans in the studio just to make sure I have better sound quality and I don't have to spend hours in the editing room trying to get that, that dull, low-grade fan sound out of the show. So that, I'm like, I got sweat like pouring down the side of my face while we do this recording. Yeah, no kidding, man. It's definitely... Uh... It's hot here in Ohio, too. I mean, it's just miserable hot. You go outside, and I was feeding the calves, and, man, I was just come out of the barn. I was soaking wet. Yeah. It's that hot. It's not that hot, dry heat stuff. It's the it's the it, high, high dew point, you know, that 70-degree dew point. Where, and what dew point is, as, as you probably know, is where, when water collects and, and starts to pool up uh, on your skin. That's basically what it is. So That's just, like, sticky, miserable you know, I, I work outdoors uh, for my full time job daily, and man, it's just been rough. It's it's been a uh, it's been a tough week of work, and you know, I gotta say that Florida, getting back from Florida this week on a little mini vacation was nice, but uh, man, this heat here in Ohio can go on away. Yeah, I'm I'm get rid of this stuff, and I I think it's gonna move out probably next week. But this this is the stuff I hate, and I'm so glad it doesn't happen during deer season. That's probably part of the reason I like deer season because high heat and high high dew points and high humidity don't go well with me like it's just not my thing and i don't think it goes well with with a lot of hunters that's that's right i think that could be a factual statement for a lot of yeah. hunters i like the cool cold christmas dry that's that's my thing and so i i just i couldn't hunt if it was like this all year round just wouldn't work right. out yeah today on the podcast jay we're going to get into a little bit of uh Talking about uh, TV production and uh, a little bit of music, we got we got a variety pack going on with uh, Jim Kinsey, who's the producer of Skullbound TV. Right, he's hunting those you know tall mountains out there out west, so where the I don't think they ever get high dew points, so it's probably not, it's probably beautiful out there. I mean, it's just it seems like a, a sportsman's paradise. Yeah, so, big sky country out in Montana. Yes, sir, exactly. And we're going to speak with Jim. Uh, and, and if you don't know who Jim is, Jim is the partner of Jenna Waller, and together they do the Skullbound TV, as you just mentioned. Uh, we love talking to Jenna. She's been a guest on our show twice, and each and every time we just we can't say enough about Jenna. She's just a great person, and yeah, she's, she's always got a lot going on, yes. uh, helping others, man. And that you know that that speaks volume in our eyes. Yes. Well, after talking to Jim, I realized that they they might be the perfect couple. Like they're they're both like super high quality individuals talented great hunters great what i want to say great liaisons for the hunting community uh they just uh, they they're good uh, spokespeople and right. and representatives for everything we believe in yeah for sure and you know and, and something that uh a lot of hunters are, are the same and see eye to eye with and that they give back you know and that's something that uh like i said it speaks volumes to us that when you can uh you know go out with uh with uh, veterans and hunt and, and do things of that nature. Just, both of them are always involved with some kind of organization 
they're taking out uh, wounded veterans and uh man i'll tell you they're just doing a lot for others not just being selfish about what they got going on yeah they're 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 givers what's interesting about both of them is that and 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 we talk about this a little bit in the show is that jim's a super technical guy he was a helicopter mechanic in the marine corps and he can rattle off like all the the different models of every camera he owns quickly and he he knows what each one of them does. So he's got this super technical background, um, you know, kind of this hardcore guy. But then there's this soft guy that's like dabbling in music and and arts and uh, being a filmographer and being a um, you know he's got he's won awards for filmography, which is amazing to think that you can have somebody that well rounded in the world. I just usually don't find that that whole person. Right for sure. Yep. So we're going to speak to Jim in just a little bit. But before we do, let's turn to Brandon Hammonds from the Take Aim Outdoor podcast with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Brandon Hammonds from Take Aim Outdoor podcast with the Deer News for August 13, 2016. In our first story, scientists want to use cougars to control New Jersey's deer population. The story was first seen on New Jersey News 12 website. Scientists want to introduce cougars into New Jersey's ecosystem in an attempt to lower deer population. This is after a study published by the Society of Conservation concluded that thinning deer populations with cougars in the eastern U.S. would reduce vehicle collisions and therefore save human lives. Other experts feel that this could do more harm than good and create a dangerous situation. That means that cougars are going to have to move in where deer are, which is suburbia, says Tito Whitman of the Cora Hartshorn Arboretum. I'm suspecting there are going to be some people not thrilled with the fact there is a 100-pound big cat living wild right in their backyard. Whitman says although cougars rarely attack humans, pets would be at risk considering the army of cougars that it would take to thin the deer herd enough to reduce automobile collisions. Unless you bring in literally thousands of cats and train them to eat only female deer, this is not going to work, he says. Bobcats and cougars once were widespread throughout New Jersey, according to the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. However, neither is on the endangered species list. Dana Bonet, a follower of the site, commented, saying, good luck with that. The answer to the overall population of deer is not more predatory species, which might well take a child as well as a deer, but more deer hunting. Our next story takes us to Iowa. County Board heats a request to replace suicidal deer. The supervisors of Mitchell County have decided to remove a roadside warning of a suicidal deer after reviewing a request from the city of Osage, Iowa. The sign is meant to be an attention getter for motorists driving through these areas with high deer population. The sign also has gained major criticism from some who thought the sign was created in poor taste and makes light of those with mental illness. Osage Mayor Steve Cooper had asked for the sign's removal and the board agreed the sign will be replaced with a more conventional message. However, an identical sign in the nearby neighboring town will remain in place. Our next story, Archers to Call Deer, again in Mount Lebanon. The story was first reported by Janice Crompton of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. The Mount Lebanon commissioners recently approved the continuation of a calling program in late 2015 and early 2016. An archery and sharpshooting hunt called more than 200 white-tailed deer as part of the effort to reduce the population by 50% over the next four years. Despite the call, however, reported deer vehicle collisions still on the rise. In the first half of 2016, 47 crashes were reported, a significant increase over the 18 reported during the same time last year. Commissioners grilled Police Chief Aaron Loth about the methods used to gather traffic data. We've maintained the same consistent program. We only listed confirmed vehicle-involved incidents, Chief Loth said. Others suggested that the increased awareness by drivers could have caused more reporting of deer-related collisions. After much debate, commissioners voted 4-0 to pay nonprofit wildlife management company White Buffalo $9,000 to conduct an archery hunt again in September 2016. Residents spoke both for and against the program. Tony DiNicola, the founder and president of White Buffalo, said he expects many of the same archers who participated in the previous. This year's call is set to take place in parts of Mount Lebanon Public Golf Course, McNeely Park, and Rob Hollow Park. 
Our final story brings us back to Michigan again. Another lawsuit over Ann Arbor's deer called dismissed in the court of claims. The story was first reported by Ryan Stan for the Ann Arbor News. A lawsuit brought against the Michigan Department of Natural Resources for permitting a deer call in Ann Arbor has been dismissed. Judge Mark Boonstra tossed out the suit filed earlier this year in Michigan Court of Claims. The lawsuit was filed on February 12th by Ann Arbor residents for public safety. This group claimed that the DNR exceeded its authority by permitting the city to hire sharpshooters to kill deer in Ann Arbor parks and nature areas. Boonstra stated that the Court of Claims lacked subject matter jurisdiction over the claims and dismissed the case. Judge Boonstra had also denied the plaintiff's request for a temporary restraining on February 18th while the first call was underway. City Attorney Stefan Postma received a copy of the order dismissing the case on Monday, August 8th. The DNR authorized a call permit pursuant to authority granted under state law. Boonstra wrote the permit included several conditions, including restrictions on authorized shooters whom the city planned to retain to conduct a call, and that the city waived local ordinance on firearm use within the areas designated by the permit. Other lawsuits of similar content relative to this call efforts have also been dismissed. This concludes this week's Deer News. If you have any questions or have suggestions for topics, please email us at news at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Brandon Hammonds from the Take Aim Outdoor Podcast with this week's Deer News. Thanks to Brandon Hammonds for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Jim Kinsey. Jim Kinsey, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. What's happening, my friend? Ah, uh, you know, just uh, kicking it here in western Montana. What a great place to live and work from. It's like a, it's like an outdoorsman's paradise. How do you even stand yourself? You know, I, I, I wake up every day and I pinch myself and say I've got the best job um, on the planet. I wake up and can uh, pick up a video camera and tell great stories and engage the audience. Uh, and so, you know, I, I love my job and, uh, and I love where I live. I'm surrounded by mountains uh, to the west, to the east, north, south. I mean, we're right in the heart of the Bitterroot Valley here and I absolutely love it here. The big country is the wild country. Big sky country. Big sky I mean? country big sky yeah right. you know it's uh it's it is if you look around i mean we have a massive sky and it, it makes good for some time lapses too <laughs> well, I, you know i didn't think about that but yeah as a filmographer you would notice that kind of stuff yeah you know always looking for that shot always looking for you know any kind of uh you know the wildlife that we have in this area we're so blessed to be able to film mule deer like in my backyard um we have elk that come down here in the winter and you know uh you know kind of hang out on the slope just behind the house here and so you know every day is just uh filled with uh adventure you never know what you're going to see here that's awesome um so you're you're in the the middle of the big sky out there um yeah. sportsman's paradise and did where was life where did life start for you i mean you did you end up there or was this just a uh, is this a, a place along the the, tra- the trail so to speak well that's a great question i moved out to montana when i was 17 and uh my mom and dad were in the we i was born and raised on the east coast uh i was a farm kid in hmm. maryland and uh, my mom and dad decided to move west and you know i had two years of high school to go so packed up moved out west it was the best thing that ever happened to me it actually literally changed my life you know i would be able to you know i was hunting you know i killed my first deer in maryland in the farm fields and uh you know i moved out here and first that first summer i was like uh wow i started looking around and it was like there's deer there's a uh, whitetail mule deer there's elk you know, mountain lion, bobcat, you know, all these things that, you know, I didn't get a chance to really chase back, back East. It was like, a um, uh, the, the Serengeti, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. There's a whole, whole variety yeah. of species of animals yes. that you can chase and have fun with. Absolutely. That's interesting. I, I hope to be in Maryland killing my first buck in about 30 days. Oh, very cool. So, so you've got a, you're going to be hunting over on the, what, the Eastern shore or some part of that? I believe so. Yeah. It's just nice. somewhere just outside of DC, which blows my mind that you can be that close to a major city and still have game Absolutely. in front of you. But that's, I guess some of those suburban areas are some of the best kept secrets in America sometimes. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. So I moved out West and that's kind of how I got here okay. and, uh, and then kind of went from there. So, All right. so where did Jana come into the picture? That's a great story. So both of us are outdoor writers, you know, and uh, I had written an article called Kingdom of the Brown Bear. I had filmed the number 10 at the time, Archery Brown Bear being taken on the uh, 
uh, Alaskan Peninsula. And, uh, you know, the month before she had written an article called Independence Day in Bowhunter. And so we were we were talking over social media that I was like, you know, I had said, hey, I just got done writing an article. I see she'd posted about her article, you know, Independence Day. And I said, hey, I had an article in the new issue that just came out this month. Check it out. And that was it. Put one message out to her. And uh, about 30 days later, I hit her back and said, hey, did you ever read that article? I read yours. She's like, oh, yeah, I read it. That's great. And at the time, um, I was going on a writer's hunt uh, to Nebraska. And we were going to go out and do some filming and some turkey hunts and such so and so. And so she came down, met me, and we went out and killed two turkeys the same morning out of a a blind with our bows. Hmm. And uh, that was in Nebraska. And she ended up killing the biggest bird in that camp out of all the uh, hundreds of clients that come through there. She killed the, a massive, you know, um, Miriam that had like an inch and a half spurs. And uh, so we just hit it off. That was it. That's kind of how we, you know, met. And then we long distance dated. And then about six months later, she moved out west. And, and we've been kicking it since. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. So you met in, in, in a turkey blind, basically. That basically, yeah. We and the funny thing was, is when she had killed her bird, we went out, recovered it, and we had just pulled it in the blind. I was like, "Well, let's wrap this thing up. You know, we should probably head back over, you know, to camp and kind of get settled in for, you know, a hunt, you know, in the evening or something." And and about the time I was stepping out, we heard all these jakes running down the line, and they were, you know, basically, uh, uh, they were chasing a long beard and kind of beating on him a little and so i jumped back in and he came walking across at 27 yards stopped and i hammered him and so we both <laughs> that's kind of you know i was just about ready to step out i was about halfway out when i stepped back in and so we both killed those birds that morning and it was just such a great time and we both wrote some articles about that and did some did a video and then i was i was leaving my a former production company at the same time and so right after that when she did move out here we decided to, hey let's let's think about, you know, starting and building the show. And that's kind of how, you know, it's a long story, but we did come up with the idea of, you know, taking her um, passion for beating, painting skulls, conservation, and kind of rolled it into, you know, Skullbound TV, which okay. is what, you know, today. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. So it was like love at first kill. Pretty much. All right. Jenna <laughs> is a killer. <laughs> she is a killer. She is a predator of, of the, the highest mm-hmm. caliber. Absolutely. She is. Yeah. Yep. So you got you're a talented guy, Jim. You, you're a, uh, I appreciate a, that filmographer. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a musician and you're a songwriter. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you like to tell stories in a lot I, of different mediums. I do. You know, you know, telling a story with a with a camera in hand and you're picturing, you know, basically painting a canvas. And each week you've got to keep your, you know, the um, you know, the general public, I guess you're your fans, I guess, telling them a good story and keep them coming back for every week, never knowing what's going to come. And it's very, you know, it's, it's a fun way to tell stories. And I love drawing human emotion, whether I'm doing it with a pen in hand or a camera in hand. And it kind of, it's kind of funny that the, you know, all the interesting people that I've met through Skullbound TV over the last five seasons, each person that I've met has had a unique story. And the whole songwriting thing is two years, two, a little over two years ago, I had the co-host of, um, I think it's Animal Planet, what's the uh, Call of the Wild Man, so his name, Neil James. Right. So Neil James was coming through Missoula. Neil James hits me up in, on Facebook. At the time, I didn't know who he was. And he said, hey, hey Jim, Jana, I'm going to be in uh, Missoula, and I don't have a will call till 12 o'clock if you want to catch up and have breakfast. Hmm. So I said, like, Jana, who's this, who's this Neil James guy? So we, we went through the, you know, Facebook and looked him up. I'm like, Hey, that's the co-host of call of the wild man with Ernie, you know, the hit series, right. He's in town. They're shooting this deal. So we went and met him. And at the end of the breakfast, he's like, have you ever tried writing music? Have you ever tried writing songs? I'm like, uh, no, I never really did. It's just a short story with a melody, uh, like kind of a poetry. I'm sure. like, I can do that. You know, right. I started thinking about the interesting people I've met along the way. And so that's kind of where the songwriting came into, into play. Very cool. So when you meet a person, how do you decide like what story you're going to tell? How do you break it oh, down? How do you break it down? That's a great question. But the truth of it is, is, you know, in, in all stories are, are wonderful, but you know, some stories have a little more, I guess, um, overall, you know, more people, I guess would gravitate to that story. And one in particular, um, serviceman, a good friend of mine is Clint Romache, Medal of Honor recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, we met him a couple, I guess it'd be three years ago. We did a coyote show with him. We were hunting with mountain cur dogs and, and stuff. But if anybody knows Clint Romache, uh, Clint, 
uh, was awarded the highest honor service medal in the nation, the Medal of Honor, and uh, was awarded that or received that, I guess is a better way to say that. He received the Medal of Honor right. for actions in October 3rd, 2009, the Battle of Kamdash um, at, at Outpost Cop Keating. And uh, he lost eight of his men in that battle. But uh, so we did a whole, you know, coyote show predator management, help and save fawns, you know, to, to, to put our, you know, keep our big bucks out there, the mule deer and antelope and so forth, and did this really great hunt with him. But the, at the heart of the, the storyline was telling what he went through in that 13-hour battle. And, you know, he had one fight to win. And so we started to, I started like literally one of the first songs out of the gate. Actually, that was the second or third song we wrote was a, was that song was called red platoon about his, um, the men from his platoon and what they went through. And we wrote this, uh, really cool song. And it was just like a, you know, basically a short story with a melody. I work with multi-platinum producers out of Nashville that helped me bring that to fruition. And, uh, currently it's, I guess on Amazon, it's number two for nonfiction download for the audiobook version. Is, is that right? Yes, that 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 whole st- that that song, um we have two of our songs that made that uh, audiobook, the Red Platoon audiobook. There's a hard copy too which went number 9 on the New York Times bestseller, but Penguin Random House came to us and said, "Hey, you know, we'd like to, you know, have two of your songs uh on the audiobook version. Are you game?" We're like, "Yes." Nice. So that's kind of that was that was a story that really inspired me, you know, and I think it it, it it's uh, it's something that most people, I would hopefully that most of the listeners would actually maybe think about, you know, downloading or listening to whether you buy the hard copy or not. It's, it's a story of, uh, um, you know, an amazing, uh, American soldier that went through hell and back and lived to tell about it. Gotcha. Fascinating yeah. story. Do you, do you think, I mean, are you able to jump from, from writing an article to writing a song to working on a script for a TV show? Is that, uh, is that all the same thing or is it? there's a little bit more to it i think yeah it it is similar i guess in a way you know you've got long format short format um you know you've got to really think about like when i write for um like a song for instance i write something that's real short format but engages all people from all walks of life it doesn't matter if you're a surfer in california if you're a logger in the northwest that song has to reach and speak to you because that's what number one hits do they they have to be able to kind of like, I guess, cover that whole spectrum. And so writing for a song is a little different than saying writing an article for like a magazine, then, you know, that's quite a bit different for me. I, I have to, I guess I have to put the, the, the reader in the middle of what I remember, the smells of the forest, the, you know, the, the blood dripping off my hand while I'm skinning the notch in the tag, the beautiful, you know, sunrise. I have to put them right there. Like they were there completely different type of writing. I, I believe real descriptive, you know, a little bit different, no melody needed, you know, just, uh, I hope that you're sitting there, you know, shooting that caribou with me, I guess, at the end of the day. Now, writing a script for television, you know, a lot of the times, you know, I write voiceover for commercials and and I kind of key in on points that, you know, that kind of help just sell that product for the potential, you know, my sponsor, I guess. It's a little bit different for that. But but it's all it's all similar. Just, you know, you got to be able to tell, you know, engage you know, your audience, whether right. it's visual or, you know, writing, uh, storytelling. So that's it. Gotcha. How much, how much writing goes into outdoor television? It, it doesn't seem like there'd be a whole lot because the script is before you, it seems like. Well, I'll tell you, that's a good, that's just, this is interesting. You asked me this question. So check this out. So like this week we're working on a, a show, our first one out of the gate. Um, Jana kills a really big mule deer and my brother, Al, um, he kills a big muley. And so what we will do is we'll go into the studio, sit down and we'll look at all the footage and we'll kind of try to say, okay, how are we going to tell this story? Her and I'll sit down and Jana will sit down with a pen in hand and she will, what we call write a spine interview. We'll work together on it but she does a majority of the writing on this on this on the spines and she'll say this is what i'm thinking how we want to tell it so we'll then we call the spine it's like what supports the entire show it's how you get from point a to z right and so we'll sit down she'll write it out and and it'll really you know really tell the story and how we can get from um you know the different scenes you know uh all the way to the end of the show and i think that's a really 
um, you know, it's an industry standard, but we also try to change it up a little bit with, you know, on the flies interviews and things of that nature to really kind of bring it all together. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Jim, you, you are, you're a veteran if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? He, yep. Marine Corps. Marine yes, Corps. I, yep. Served in, uh, first Marines out of Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. I was a, uh, helicopter mechanic. I worked on the CH 53 echoes. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Our, uh, super stallions, I guess they call them. And, uh, the, uh, CH 46 sea Knights was my secondary MOS. And I was also aviation welder. It's that's amazing. It sounds like you have a, a mechanical tactical background and <laughs> yes. yet, and you're, you know, you're a Marine, but yet yes. you, you are, you kind of have this soft side too, where you could, you have to tell a story that people can relate to, which is a, a human side of the, everything. Uh, yeah, I think all artists have that soft side, you know. If you can't, if, I think you know they won't. People won't tell you that, but Marines do cry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, um, no. We, uh, I really enjoyed my time in the service. My uh, my grandfather was in the Army Air Corps before it was the Air Force. My uncle served in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. My brother was Army uh, military police. I served in the Marines, and so I have a family history of uh, working kind of in the that whole. Uh, you know, the being in the service. And then my, um, my grandfather and my great grandfather actually invented the first prosthesis, which is, you know, the first uh, mechanical arm, which in the Smithsonian. And then my grandfather kind of, kind of got into aviation and that's kind of where my whole play came in. He kind of helped invent uh, transatlantic flight. So I I come from a background of inventors slash military personnel. And I kind of, Although I like working mechanically on helicopters and I loved all that, it really wasn't something I wanted to dive into for as a career, I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it to- makes total sense to me now why Jana went to you to set up the Skype feed when we yes. wanted to interview Jana. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I actually, I'm, you know, I'm mechanically inclined, but I'm also like anything to do with like uh, electronic gadgetry or the latest gear for cameras or how to, I mean, raids, hard drive, all that. That's me. I, I get it. <laughs> so that's <laughs> how my brain works. That makes sense. All right. Yes. So you, you seem like a pretty easy going guy though. Does anything oh, ever yeah. get you uh, revved up? Like anything oh. get you angry? Ah, anti-hunters, you know, they just don't, you know, I guess they get me revved up sometime, but I've got thick skin over the last, you know, so many years that, you know, I, I pretty much ban and block them off Facebook or Instagram or any of Twitter. You know, I guess, I, I guess if I could, you know, just tell the anti-hunting crowd, the people that don't understand that, you know, hunters are animal lovers. We give back more to the environment and the habitat and herds and flocks than, than, than they would <laughs> care to believe. And, uh, so I guess, you know, I always want to just come off, you know, and say that, you know, we love animals, you know, we, we are here to manage them. We, we hunt them. We, it's not about the kill. It's about just getting out there and enjoying, you know, being out in nature and camaraderie with your brothers and, you know, bringing up your kids in the great outdoors. I mean, that's where it's at. I mean, I'm out videoing, you know, so much of the time that I love, uh, time-lapse. I love the sun going down. I love, um, filming a big buck in velvet. I don't want to just kill that deer. I want to film them and check them out and, and, you know, and share that with, you know, my viewers. Um, you know, so to me, I guess at the end of the day, I just would put a shout out to say, you know, before you go casting a stone and, and looking at us with a, you know, with a negative eye, really dig in and see that we actually give back a ton with all the money we raised with the Pittman Robinson Act and, and the amount of money we, we put back into on the ground to, you know, for habitat restoration and, and so forth. So I, I guess that's where I'd really like to, you know, it's hard to get into it with them on, on Facebook or, or Instagram. Right. It's easier just to just ban and block them. But that's what I'd love for their, you know, and the viewers are listening out there that they would understand that we love animals. I, I think that they don't listen, generally speaking. Like you, <laughs> you could you could talk about this ad nauseum to them, and mm-hmm. there's about one percent of that yes. group that would probably engage and listen to you. But the rest of them, they don't they don't listen to your message at all. Um, and, and it's the it's that other group, the neutral people, the ones that don't mm-hmm. really hunt but don't really care if you do. You know, those right. are the ones that I, I think we got to focus on, generally speaking. Right. Mm. They may have not grown up in an out in a house that hunted, but they're not, you know, against it. They just right. never really tried it. Exactly. You yeah. know, Jenna's all about. You know, one of the biggest things that I love about her is she's always, you know, you know, um, kind of reaching out to those young men and women and um, 
people that may have never grown up in that that household and trying to engage with them and let them know that hey you know if you're not you know maybe you don't want to pick up a bow the first time or a rifle but go out with your husband or wife or whatever and just you know go out and just check it out and see what see what it's like to just be out there right. i mean that's enough to just get you hooked alone just to be outside you know so yeah i, I always feel like they're, that, that if they if you haven't done that you're kind of missing an, an experience and and lesson in life absolutely that, that you need to have as a human being agreed and if you have there's a whole component to life that you're really just you just mm-hmm. blew by like it wasn't important and sure it's just it's it's disappointing mm-hmm. if, if you do uh, that agreed let's let's talk a little bit about the the filmography stuff or talk mm-hmm. more about the filmography stuff well sure sure so you know the the big thing anymore you know nowadays is you know everybody's starting to talk about shooting in 4k and you know and 8k and you know 4k is like four times the resolution of high definition and you've got to have this and that and i do shoot quite a bit in 4k but i'll shoot shoot a lot in you know in what we call 1080 which is just high definition sure you know when we deliver to the network you know we just we deliver you know a a high definition file and uh you know so everything we shoot is pretty much um is pretty much high def you know we may scale down some 4k footage but um you know at the end of the day we're just storytellers you know we want to get out there and 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 basically tell the best story we can you know jana makes it such a i always call her the one hit wonder because when we sit down and we we do an interview or if we're on the fly and she's you know she improvises and comes up with some of the most amazing you know, quotes and things that I would have never thought of. I mean, let's put it this way. She makes me a way better, a way better producer than, (laughs) that I should be, you know, it's her that, you know, that the two of us working together as a team to, to really, you know, put out a, a show every week that people I think enjoy to watch. And I, I feel blessed to be able to do that. And, you know, over the last five years, we've had some of the most amazing hunts, you know, one in particular that, that I'm talking about right now, I've been editing all week. We went on a, a hunt last year. Um, so we went on two hunts, but I'll, I'll start with the first hunt, which, which yeah. was Jana um, and my brother, Al. We we hunted uh, eastern Montana, and uh, the show I've been, the very first show out of the gate for season six is this mule deer hunt we went on. And we spotted this really nice buck off in the distance about a mile and a half away. And you could see his frame from a mile and a half. And so, um, we shot all the, you know, the stuff we needed to get to, you know, long, just long lens stuff to get, the, so you could see the buck and then the, on the fly, Jana tells, Hey, we gotta, we gotta make our way a mile and a half to him and filming along the way with GoPros to get some, you know, kind of like rugged looking, you know, real life, um, reality like style shots to, to get us to the buck. And we get up on this deer. He's, um, I think we get it 275 yards from him and he's unbeknownst to him where we you know we we make our way through the coolies and we creep over the edge and there he is and he's kind of feeding not really paying attention he has three does it's the rut you know i mean it's perfect so jana's toting the 26 nozzle which is their quote is flat out lights out it's running 100, <laughs> right. yeah 142 grain you know uh long range acubon and it hits hard like like thor's hammer and so I mean, once everything was dialed in, everything was set up, you know, it's just point on, just hold on the deer, you know, it's flat out to 415 yards. So, you know, she holds right on the, on the, on the buck and, you know, it's unbelievable. And I always say women are better, better shots than men. You know, they just kind of think everything through. They, hmm. they stay calm. It's, it's a proven fact. You can look into it. I'm not going to say all men because people be like, what's up? But, <laughs> right, but the right. truth is overall, I think women seem to be a better shot, you know, especially in a situation like this. And man, she just she dropped the hammer on this deer and he just folded in his tracks and never moved. The doe's bounced up, looked around like, what's up? And went off. And of course we, we started to just celebrate and how incredible of a, you know, first, you know, first morning out, being able to, you know, shoot a 164 inch, you know, 26 inch wide five by five mule deer, beautiful buck, you know? And, um, so, you know, so then we, we tag the deer, we debone him, uh, cape them for the mount and put it in two CF-13s from Tenzing. They're like the carbon fiber packs that yep. basically go in like, you know, and you can come out with a really crazy load. And uh, and then my brother packed out a bunch of debone meat and I had my camera and everything. We packed that back out. We get to the truck. It's like noon. My brother's got a tag. So he's like, we, we, we dump everything in the cooler and um, then we um, 
we dive back off into into the badlands and you know we jump in about four miles and boom he spots this great big buck in his bed well this buck's (laughs) you know 650 yards away kind of facing us you know the wind's kind of good for us but we there's a lot of eyes kind of looking our way and we're like okay we got to go back down this ridge and we're losing daylight we only got about an hour and a half to make a play on this deer and so we move around cut back down this ridge you know you know, about 40 minutes later, we're sitting a hundred yards, not even that 60 yards from this thing, you know, off the bipod waiting for him to get out of his bed. So we're waiting and waiting. And this is a thick, thick buck. Like he goes straight up, you know, five by five, just heavy, you know, mule deer. Yeah. And so I'm like, so I'm, I've got, you know, I have to ease up with the camera. I mean, when you're filming and you have a camera in your hand, you know, every throw everything out that you know as a deer hunter because now you've got to be so careful so cautious your tripod head when you're leveling it might squeak i mean so many things can go wrong you know and i i was able to like just without getting right up behind him i kind of just elevated my camera leveled it out quietly and i zoom in and it's beautiful i'm right over his shoulder here's this you know 170 inch mule deer staring at us he knows something's up but wind's good right and so we start throwing a few coyote calls you know yip 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 and he stands up and my brother hits him with a 340 weatherby and it oh, lights yeah. out <laughs> you know? nice. it was, yeah it was a beautiful beautiful buck we we went down and, and you know and celebrated and uh we deboned him tagged him and we walked out and we did 12.6 miles that day killed two bucks twenty six thousand and change steps yeah it was <laughs> It was one of those days. Yeah, so, that's a good day. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore too. Just I, yeah, it was. It's tough. I mean, you, right there's right. there's no roads there. It's just you go in, and you know wherever you shoot that animal, you've got to you've got to be able to come out with them. And right. So it's tough. It's a tough hunt. Yeah. It's, it's when you go on a hunt like that, Jim, how much footage do you actually need to record to to make <laughs> a full episode? Okay, so for this particular episode, I, I would say I went through, you know, I probably shot 500 gigs, which would equate to, oh, I want to say maybe 15 hours of footage or 12 hours somewhere. You know, I mean, just, just I shoot all day long, all day long, all day long with multiple cameras. So I'm running my one Sony camera. I'm running the GoPro. I'm running my bigger camera, my FS7. I'm, I'm running multiple cameras, so I've got a heavy pack already because I've got to be able to film all the different scenes we need. And uh, then when I come out, you know, I'm packing part of a deer, my cameras, and the tripod. So, you know, my, my day is long. I mean, it's a, you know, on that particular day, it was, um, I would say, you know, we got a lot done in one day. But, you know, normally it doesn't go down like that. Normally I'm there for a couple, three, four days or, you know, to film, you know, maybe an episode or, or, or maybe even a week, depending on what we're filming. Um, that day I was rolling all day long, pretty much everything we were doing. I just rolled and just changed out batteries. Hmm. So, but I got a lot, I got a lot shot and, you know, I've got a beautiful two part, two muleys going down and in, in, uh, in a 22 and a half minute program for our first show out of the gate for, uh, 2017. Gotcha. Wow. That's, that's a lot of footage for one, one episode. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, the more I always say I overshoot everything, Jenna's like, man, you shoot so much. And what the cool thing is, is at the end of the day, I have a lot to draw from. I can go back and get the cutaways, the beauty shots, the B-roll I need to tell the story, you know, uh, cinematically, I guess, to kind of engage right. my viewer to and so forth. But it, yeah, it definitely adds up. I mean, I've got, I don't even know, 30, 30 terabytes or the storage sitting in my office or more. That wow. I drop that I drop footage to. Um, so yeah, but you never you never know when you're going to need to fall back and find something to place in. Is my am, am I understanding that right? That all works. Absolutely yes, because sometimes you know you may need a cutaway of a cactus or a you know maybe you filmed a, a horny toad and you're like oh that'd be kind of a cool thing to just have across. You know if you watch if you watch some of the bigger uh, shows on Nat Geo and Discovery, they are constantly pulling stock footage from their library to tell a story and sometimes. Let's face it, I can tell that that wasn't shot in the same lighting conditions or at the same location, although that species may be there. You know, you can just be like, well, that's stock footage. You just know. But, you know, as a storyteller, you need those little bits and pieces to help tell that story, To you know, to keep the, the, that story flowing. So, Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 
So, so it's always my, my, my word to the wise is always overshoot it. <laughs> that way you have more to work with than, than you having to like uh, scrape by and like have, you know, a show that may not be as, you know, strong suited as it could be. Yeah. It makes sense. If you, if you want to, you know, do your, your best work and, Mm-hmm. You know, you you want every single Crayola crayon you can get. You don't want the eight pack. Oh, you don't want totally. the twenty four. You want the hundred and twenty eight or the two forty pack. You know, Crayola is to pick from to make this thing right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm. That's a, that's, that's a great analogy. That's what I was trying to get at. Right. I wish I just didn't think of the Crayolas. That's why they gave you crayons in, in that's right. elementary school. So, Absolutely. So you could totally. be a filmmaker later in life. That's no, exactly totally. what it was. So what's, yes. the, what's the biggest challenge that you face when you're out there? Um, it uh, seems like, I mean, we, we kind of sit back and you see the final cut, final cut and all the footage, and it all looks like a well-polished piece. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be some things that go wrong out there. Absolutely. I, had, I can tell you I was on a mountain lion hunt, and um, we were in wolf country. And so we had a big mountain lion tree, and um, uh, I had a tag, and the, one of the houndsmen, he had a tag. It was in his area, so he was going to you know, shoot the, the lion if we got to it. So we got to this really steepy, you know, super steep canyon that dropped off about uh, probably about 1,500 vertical, like super steep, and it was snowy. Well, with wolves in the area, when they hear a dog barking, they think, you know, a hound or whatever. To them, it's just another wolf, and it's in their area, and it's competition. So they'll come in to the tree and grab all the hounds and kill them before you get there. So I'm standing on the edge of this cliff face and these guys are like, well, we'll drive back around 10 miles and meet you at the bottom. We'll hike up. Can you drop off here? I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the wolves are going to come and get your dogs and I've got to get down to this tree. And so I took off with the tripod, you know, slung over my shoulder with my big camera. I think I had an EX3 at the time, Sony EX3. And so I go bombing down, you know, kind of, you know, how you do the side hill shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. And then you kind of change to the left side of your boot and then your right side of your boot. And I'm, I'm making hay to get down here and I'm dropping off this super steep slope and my feet go out from underneath me and boom, the viewfinder gets busted off. I fall flat out hard and my microphone goes flying and I'm sitting here going, wow, did I just do that? <laughs> Why didn't I put my camera away? You know, and of course, you know, I, I shouted some obscenities and they echoed off the canyon walls. Of course, nobody else was around to hear me, but I, <laughs> I got to, I'm like, I was really mad. And so I finally, I collected myself. I grabbed all the parts of my camera and I luckily had a second camera in my pack. I'm normally, and I always carry, you know, I try to have a GoPro and a main camera, but this time I had an SLR. I think it was a Canon 5D Mark II with a one to 300 Sigma lens or whatever it was. And I was able to, you know, I get down there and they're like, where, you know, the Jana and uh, this other guy had come up the hound and come up the trail. And he's like, like, where's your big camera? What happened? I'm like, well, let's just put it this way. It's in my pack and I have to use the second camera. They're like, Oh, did you fall? I'm like, yes. And I, you know, $1,500 worth of damage. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it cost me, you know, $1,500 out of my pocket, but I had a secondary camera. So equipment failure, I think is to, is to answer your question, Jay, is $1,500 of in damage, you know, to a camera it may not seem like a lot, but you know, as a, as a producer for television, you know, we don't make a ton of money. You know, we are always constantly upgrading our equipment, trying to stay ahead of the, you know, the competition, trying to tell good stories with the latest or whatever. And I think equipment failure is one of the things wireless mics go out all the time. Right. They might, they might go out while you're in the middle of a dialogue, a critical piece of dialogue that you can't repeat because someone may be crying and telling their story of how they killed their first buck or whatever. And, and you're like, Hey, could you say that again? My battery went out. You know what I mean? So equipment failure, I think is one of the number one things, you know, um, yeah. that, that, that happens when we're out filming. It seems to me that you're, you're more, I mean, not that you're not in the elements when you're, out on the East Coast and the Midwest, but it seems more like perhaps more tree stand hunting isn't mm-hmm. going to be exposed to elements. Like you can kind of take care of that. You can kind of oh, take yeah. care of your equipment a little better when, yeah. you, when you're not moving around. But when you're out where you guys are, you're constantly exposed to the elements: dirt, oh, wind, it snow, can cost you your, rain. Mm-hmm. It can cost you your life. I mean, right. literally, you know, when you deal with you know, you know hypothermia kills hunters every year. Right, not being layered up right, you know. Um, and it kills a lot of camera equipment, you know, rain, wind, uh, fine sand, uh, things like that, dust, you know, it's, those are camera killers. Right. How do you, how do you protect against that? Or do you even have a strategy or you just like, yes, just figure I do. I, things I are going to get beat up and destroyed mm-hmm. and you just have to be able to buy the next one. 
pretty much you have to be ready to <laughs> know at any time when you think everything's going perfect, you know, that you're, you're probably going to hurt your camera somehow. <laughs> yeah. I have guys that run over them all the time. They set their camera behind their car or truck and they forget about it and they get in the truck and they back up and they're like, Oh my gosh, did I just run over my camera? Oh, I have man. a good friend of mine that just ran over his camera the other day and I saw it on Instagram and I was like, Oh, I hope that never happens to me, but I know it happens to a lot of people. But no, I think to protect against, you know, there's a lot of different covers and cases that you can, you know, Pelican cases or, uh, you know, different cases of that style that you can put, uh, you know, your, your camera gear in. But when we travel and stuff like that, we try to protect our stuff or take it as carry on. I think, you know, plus we travel so much when we film, but, um, when we're up against the elements, like in Montana, Idaho, you know, Wyoming, wherever, a lot of times we've got, believe it or not, I, there's something I carry outside of a, you know, a, a thing that protects my, uh, it's like a, basically a, a camera, uh, I guess like a sleeve that kind of covers up your camera and keeps it you know, from the elements, what I usually do is I take like a trash bag with me and I always have like a trash bag with me, whether a little black trash bag. And when it starts to like downpour, like I've been in the Alaskan peninsula and it was, it was, it dropped a couple inches and, you know, two hours, you know, I always had that with me and it saved my camera gear. I can't even tell you how many times. So just um, a basic trash bag, just a basic trash bag, a little trash bag. That's it. Just throw it right over your camera and it doesn't matter. You know, it's keeping it, keeping it nice and right. dry. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Makes sense. It's, yeah, it you know, works. It's, it's, it's cheap too. It's cheap. <laughs> it's and, cheap yeah. protection. <laughs> exactly. That's very yeah. cool. Yep. So the, where you're, where you're hunting, does scent mm-hmm. matter as much as it does in like, if you're trying to sit in a tree <sighs> stand for a white tail? You know, I play the wind uh, out West a lot. Yeah. Uh, pretty much I live in, by the smoke bottle, a little bottle, you know, uh, smoke in the bottle or whatever. Yeah. I live and die by that. Not to say that I don't uh, try to, you know, take every precaution I can to try to, you know, stay scent free. But let's face it, when you're climbing a, you know, a hill in the middle of the dark, you know, let's say 4.35 o'clock in the morning, you're hiking up to your elk spot and you've got to climb 2,000 vertical feet, you're going to sweat. Yep. And when you get there, you've got to peel off layers and then start hunting because the bull's bugling below you. You've just got to, we play the wind a lot. Now, I do have a self-climber that I've taken into areas, you know, for water holes and things of that nature. And, um, you know, they're not so far off the beaten path that I'm going to sweat so bad going in. So I will just get to there, you know, uh, to do the self-climber, you know, and still try to get where I place that usually is on a prevailing wind. And it usually is downwind of the water hole. I try to get it to where, you know, I think the elk are going to be coming from and they may not, and I'm high enough up that they may not smell me. Mm. Uh, I did years, I think it was like three, four years ago. I, I had a, uh, a self climber that I set up on a water hole and I was, I had a great big seven by six bull coming in around eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, it was a done deal. It's walking down the whole 18 yards. Then suddenly the cow turned off and went up the hill behind me. And I, you know, I've, I'm all dialed in. I'm like, Oh, well, this is not happening. And I had a, um, I had my, uh, protective, you know, the harness on and I tried to kneel down and I'm trying to get a shot on this big bull as he's coming in behind me. And I, all I could see was his legs go by and I'm just bummed. I'm like, I can't believe this just happened. You know, the wind was good. It was in our face. And, and I'm like, okay. So all of a sudden, you know, about, uh, about a half hour later, here come like really big chocolate phase black bear and I had a black bear tag in my pocket. So <laughs> he's walking down this trail right to the water and he stopped, literally stopped at 18 yards. I cow called. He kind of looked at the base of my tree, had no idea I was there. Boom, double lunged him. He went 70 yards with dead in stone. And, um, that was my first archery bear in Montana. Wow. I was, I was actually out trying to kill a bull with my bow. <laughs> and so I think that happens. It, it happens. Way, way things know. happen in the, in nature. Yeah, yeah, so play the wind. That's the number one key, I think, okay. out west. Yeah. Do, do you feel like you get winded more because you have to carry all this odd scented <laughs> camera equipment? Or yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like I, you know, it just it's so outside of yeah. I think I think there's a lot of scent that you know gets carried on, like the eye cup or you know some of the things that I on my shoulder. You know, we sweat. We you use the same thing over and over, even though we wipe it down and clean it up. I still think that a lot of the time that my camera gear does give off a little bit, maybe more human scent because, you know, I've got my eye up against the eye cut, you know, the, eye, you know, the viewfinder or whatever it right. is, or I, you know, and I, I think that there are times when that does, has given, gives me away, I think to, you know, human sense, human scent, no matter which way it's carried, they're going to, you know, they're going to get you, you know, <laughs> it's just, you, it's hard to beat that. You know, those, their yeah. noses are 10 times or I don't even know, a thousand times stronger than ours. Gotcha. I want to turn the mic over to Dusty here for a little bit. And I'd, yeah, uh, Dusty. I'd like to go on a deer hunt. Yeah, we can break that down. Where, where are we headed, Jim? 
Oh, let's see. Where do you want to hunt? <laughs> let's get into one of your most memorable whitetail hunts. Oh, man. I'll tell you a really good whitetail story. So this t- involves break it, break it down. We got we to gotta know when and where. Okay. So this was five, five falls ago. Um, Jen and I, it was her first season in Montana. And uh, we were up Gold Creek, which is western Montana outside of Missoula. Uh, West central and it's early morning and just to break it, break a light, uh, take, go back a year. I was chasing about a 190 inch public land whitetail in that area the year before, just so you know, (laughs) yep. I, he, uh, ended up getting taken by some guy that happened to be driving an old logging road during the rut and he, some kid killed him. He was in the paper, but, um, I, his genes were in that area. And I said, told Jen, I said, Hey, I want to take him to this area where I was chasing this big buck and. I know there's some good bucks in here. So we go hiking into this. It's basically, it's imagine giant um, logging roads and trail, you know, open clear cuts and then timber stands. And, you know, you've got dug fir, lodgepole, large, um, a lot of buck brush and things of that nature. And so it's early, early morning. And we hiked across this creek and we started headed up the mountain and it was starting to break light. And I saw some does. So I'm like, Hey, there's eight does right there. There's gotta be a buck here close by. Well, so we started working up to the, up to where, you know, we could get basically a little bit better view. They're still off about probably, I don't know, 400 yards. We closed the distance to about 250 yards and I'm just starting to peek over to where I'm thinking, you know, these deer are, and Jen is like, there goes a big buck. And literally, you know, all you can see is a rack going tail between his legs and he's full bore, you know? And now one of the fun things that Jen will tell you about me, if it's, if there's a deer holding still, I'll miss it. If it's running, it's pretty much dead. <laughs> and anyway, so long story short, you know, I, I pulled out the old Marine Corps card, dropped to my knee. You know, he was about 200, 200 and some yards away and um, left, uh, right to left, broadside running. I let him about a foot, dropped the hammer, heart shot him and folded him in mid-flight. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Jana was like, looking at me like, wow. I'm like, what? She goes, you dropped that thing. I was like, yeah. I was like, um, <laughs> she goes, you're right. Running shots, you, you don't miss. I'm like, well, I just instinct, you know, just comes into play. I shoot a lot of moving targets. And so for me, it, um, I practice that, that sh- those shots all the time. So for me as, as a hunter, I know I'm going to make that shot. So Jana's like, wow. So we, we get over to this deer and it's not the biggest buck on the planet, but you know, it's probably like a 135 inch whitetail and a uh, beautiful five point. And we go, we, we get to it. And I'm like, I go, Jana, I go, I don't think I brought my knife. She goes, what? I said, yeah, my son took it out of my pack. Cause he was working on a buck that he had shot. He was doing cleaning the skull or something. She goes, I, um, yeah, I thought you had the knife. I'm like, oh no. So here, here we are two pro hunters, no knife. Thank God there's a hunter came along and he's like, Hey, I heard the shot. I'm like, Hey, I got this buck. Hey, can I borrow your knife? So long story <laughs> short. So we, we, um, he, he basically lets us, uh, skin the buck out or, you know, uh, get the buck out and we drag it out. And, uh, so we're, we're tired. We, 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 we drug it a long ways, about a mile and changed, uh, to where our truck was. And so we're on our way out and, um, and I remember Jana's like, well, I know we're beating everything, but let's just take our, let's just take one more, we'll just glass this one more ridge. Let's just, so we go out on this little logging road point and we start glassing around and I'm looking across this massive canyon and up behind us, she's like spots like the Hartford buck. I mean, it's like up on the point looking at us, you know, like all, you know, you know, perfect, like right out of the, right out of uh, the movie or whatever. And, <laughs> the so, or the commercial. Yeah, the Hartford the commercial. Buck. That was a perfect description. I know exactly <laughs> what you just said. Exactly. Right. She's literally, as it goes, she's like, it was so ironic. And so we're like, I'm like, she goes, she goes, can we get to that deer? I'm like, yeah, we can get to that deer. So he's way up on this mountain and, um, you know, he's a real nice buck. And so we, we, we make a play and it's vertical. I'm like, she goes, man, these mountains are kicking butt. You know, it's like, well, we just got to go straight up this ridge. We can hit this logging road. We'll crawl out this old skitter trail and you know, it's all downfall on it. We got to be real careful getting through it. And we look and he's bedded 250 yards away. We get right up to where we can, we have no cameras. This, this is, this is nothing is being filmed. Just so you guys know, we're like, we don't even have cameras with us. We're just out having a great time hunting, you know, which is right. kind of nice. And, uh, so we, we crawl out to the end of the logging road 
and um, it's old skitter trail underneath a couple blowdowns that had fallen over the, you know, the skitter trail. We call skitter trails like a, where they pull logs up and down or whatever. And right. yeah, we look, a, yeah, you get it. So we look across and he's bedded like facing our way, but not really looking at us and, you know, perfect, you know, he's broadside to us. So I get her all lined out down for 250 yards and boom, she shoots him. And he just rolls down the hill. And we were looking like, great job. You got your, you know, got your, and then we're like, we get the, you know, we got the deer. We're like, okay, we got to go across the canyon. We celebrate a little bit and we get over to where he was. And we're like, where is he? And we're like, I don't know. Where is he? So we're, <laughs> we're doing like circles. We're like, okay, here's where he was. Okay. We shot. There's no blood. What the heck? I saw him fold, you know, we're looking, well, he had slid down underneath some brush and was like buried in the brush. You couldn't even see him. We found him. He was like hanging by his rack underneath this tree and he was at the base of this tree and we found him. He was like, just went down like 50 yards. So we both get him. We're like, this is great. I'm like, I don't have a knife. So here we are again. We're like, okay, so what do we got to do here? It's like, well, we got to drag him over to here and then we got to drag him out. We drug that deer all the way out, mm. you know, probably close to a mile without a knife and loaded a hole in the back of my truck. And we both killed two bucks. So I wrote an article for, I think it was in Buckmasters. It was two bucks, two bullets, one morning. Uh, and that was the, that was what it was titled. And it, it, it came out in, I think, Buckmasters. So that was a story of those two bucks. And it was a great hunt. It was one of my favorite hunts, you know, because, you know, we were just having a great time together without the, the pressure of having to produce a, a show. And, you know, and although we didn't have a knife and I, I got my kid the next day for that, I'm like, hey, put the knife back when you're done next time. <laughs> uh, right. But, you know, right. It, it seems like when you go out on a hunt like that, it comes out with an epic story that you wish you had on film. Oh, totally. I mean, it would, the whole knife thing is just still, we still laugh about it. So we have a diorama where we have both those bucks mounted together on this cool fence post with like, um, you know, cottonwood, like yellow cottonwood, uh, look limbs behind them. And it's a, every time we look at that, we remember that hunt together and how great it was uh, our first hunt awesome. out West together. Yeah. That's very cool. Great story. Yeah, very yeah. cool story. It was a lot of fun. Definitely. The Hartford buck and don't forget your knife. Gotcha. <laughs> don't forget your knife. Yeah, trust me. I have two or three in my pack now. There's no way I'd forget the knife after <laughs> <Yeah>. that deal. <laughs> the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very cool, Jim. So I, I have 10 rapid fire questions for you, Jim. Sure. And I didn't prep you for this, so they, I think no worries. They, they roll off the tongue better if you don't know what's coming. I love that. Although if you've listened to Jana's show, you probably probably know what's oh, yeah. going on. So ho- hopefully you haven't listened to the end of Jana's show. No, I haven't heard. I know. I don't think right. I have. All right. Good. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? My number one hunting tip of all time? I would say carry a GPS with you and mark your truck. <laughs> That's a good. Where you are, that is a very good piece of advice. Yeah, because when the weather rolls in, uh, yeah, if you can't find your way back to your truck and all yeah. you can see is you have no landmarks, it can cost you your life. Yeah, that's it. right. Yep. All right, so we all have these things that we are consider good luck charms or something of that nature. Maybe they make us better hunters. Maybe we just think they make us better hunters. And when we forget it in the truck or leave it at home, it drives us insane. What's that one thing for you? My camera. Your camera. <laughs> I have my camera with me. I'm always going to come home with the, the footage I need, no right. matter what. I always have it with me. Right. Gotcha. What's your biggest pet peeve in life? Uh, improvise, adapt, overcome. I always say that it's a, when I say pet peeve, it's like, um, improvise, um, over, you can overcome anything, um, no matter what the situation is, um, adapt to it. Um, and you can overcome anything. I mean, I learned that from the Marine Corps. That's a pet peeve of mine. I say it all the time, um, to people. And so improvise, adapt and overcome. <laughs> that's one I like a lot myself. Very nice. All right. So what's, uh, how old are you today, Jim? 47. 47. All right. Going on 48 in October. All right. Congratulations. You're right there with, with my age. That's, that's All right. Good. So what would you tell the 26-year-old Jim Kinsey, knowing what you know today about everything? Boy, I would say... I would say, I would say, listen, listen to your elders, listen to the people around you that have been there before you and done, you know, what you may be doing now. Just be a real good listener and don't Mm -hmm. talk so much. I like that. Very nice. All right. You meet a complete stranger in a hotel lobby at a hunting convention somewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. They ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Complete stranger. I would probably tell them that, uh, I do outdoor television. Okay. But I wouldn't try to carry on too long of a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Walk away as soon as you possibly can. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. All right. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? 
this morning I had a power bar and coffee. Very nice. You get your own blank billboard. What do you put on that billboard? Life's a fight. Open the cage. (laughs) All right. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? That's a great question. Oh, this this one kind of stumps me in a way because there's so many people I want to say successful. Right. Um, you know, really, I would say Jan is super successful. Um, she's she's gone so far beyond anybody that I know or have ever been you know around in such a short amount of time that her success you know has really helped lead to our success. But she's definitely probably the most successful person I know. Very nice. What is a day in the life of Jim Kinsey look like? Oh, a day in the life of Jim Kinsey. Wake up around during show season or during... well, let's, let's do off season. Like what, what do you do when you're relaxing? Off season? Well, I'll tell you today I slept until eight o'clock, which is very rare. Okay. Um, I slept until eight today, got up, had a cup of coffee, um, answer a bunch of emails, start, uh, work on contracts for season six of Skullbound TV start editing for season six. Uh, I take a lot of phone calls um, all day long with my, my producers in Nashville. I've got a lifestyle brand company, so I'm talking about that a lot you know, with the you know new fulfillment center and trying to get all those things um, going while I'm doing my day job, which is Skullbound. Okay. And let's say you're in the middle of the season, you're actually hunting. What's a, a deer hunting day in the life look like? Ooh, Early morning, way early, like 4.30 a.m. wake up. Um, Some of the areas we have to drive to can be, you know, anywhere from an hour to two and a half hour drive. Mm. Get there at the crack of dawn, start putting the optics vortexes to, to, you know, to uh, hitting the landscape and starting to try, you know, especially during November, trying to find big whiteys or muleys on the move and how to cut them off, shore up that distance and, and make an ethical shot on them. Gotcha. All right. And that concludes the 10 rapid fire questions. Well done, Jim. I appreciate you guys having me on the Big Buck Registry. It's been awesome. We're psyched to have you. Before we let you go, can you fill us in on where we can find on social media, iTunes, whatever it is, all the different places that you're involved, whether it be the the TV show, writing, um, Mm -hmm. or, or songwriting or music? Yeah, so uh, our obviously our show is SkullboundTV.com. That can that'll fill you in on our you know our latest uh, information about our show, when we air, what we do, our sponsors, and so forth that help us you know bring that to the uh, TV you know every week during quarter one and two. And then uh, we've got I've got OpenTheCageGear.com, which is a lifestyle brand that I started um, here about two years ago, and um, uh, on there you'll also find our record a little bit more about our record label. And uh, uh, iTunes, you can look up the Overcome album by Michael Connors at C O N N O R S. The album is Overcome, and we're on Pandora. Uh, we're on uh, shoot all the basically every music service on the planet carries you know has all of our songs on that album and some other singles I've done. I've done a couple of uh, songs, uh, you know, The Legend by Chris Kyle and um, some other ones too. So you can find anything you want there. Just look up. Um, Look me up on iTunes or Michael Connors on iTunes and uh, look up over the Overcome album. That's our big album that just dropped. Nice. Very nice. Well, it's been a pleasure, Jim. It's been just an honor to have you on the show, and I got to see a little bit of the behind the scenes of what happens yeah. on Skullbound because it's you know we we love talking to Janet too. We we love talking to both of you guys. Yeah, Jay and Dusty, I appreciate both of you guys so much for having yeah, me on today, you. and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, if you ever need us in the future, we're here. So we'd love to come again. I think that if if I could hang out with Jenna Waller and Jim Kinsey on a vacation, it might be like just the best vacation I've ever had. They're just quality individuals. I just like them. Yeah, I kind of agree more to that. You know, they're just people that, uh, you know, real fortunate that we've talked to Jenna face to face and, you know, and then we haven't met Jim, but uh, man, I tell you, they just, they're genuinely people that we see eye to eye with, Jay, and, and people that we could spend quite a bit of time with. I couldn't agree more. I love what they're doing for the world and they're, they're, they have great talents and music and hunting and just I don't know, it's just amazing it's absolutely amazing it's a hard act to follow dusty but do we have a chubby tines tip of the week yeah we do you know and uh the chubby tines tip of the week is sponsored by morse's sporting goods firearms use firearms bows use bows located at 85 kentucky falls road in hillsborough new hampshire give jim a call at 603-464-3444 morse's sporting goods 
Morris'sSportingGoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morris's Sporting Goods. Something that uh, that's kind of near and dear to my heart that I try to do every year, and that that's set up a youth hunt with a with a new and up and coming hunter that's maybe never killed their first uh, white-tailed deer. Set that up early in season, and uh, you know, get that uh, youth hunt set up. And th- to me, it's more important than my whole season is to have that opening morning a youth deer gun season lined out with somebody that's either never been to the woods or hasn't had the opportunity to 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 kill an animal uh, to put meat in the freezer with. And that's something that I focus on every year, and I try to do every year is take a youth hunter to the woods. And I set that up now, and then I'm I'm set for when that day comes that. I know that I'm going to stop my hunt for the year and, and focus on trying to get that young man or woman their first white-tailed deer. It, it just holds a special place in my heart to take a youth hunter out and, and try to kill their first deer. That's uh, something I look forward to every single year now as well. You know, it was a time when I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about just getting my own deer. Um, but these days, that's uh, pretty much all I think about. I get try to get them out first, like you do, and then, then maybe I'll get lucky down yeah. the road. Yeah, just that it really does hold a special place in your heart once you do it once. If you haven't done it, uh, take it in consideration and, and put the youth before you and, and focus on taking them. You know, I, I try to take them to my best spot. And, uh, you know, if they kill that giant, that just that's that's just an icing on the cake for me. Because, man, it, it would just throw me to death to have a youth hunter kill a monster, a white-tailed deer. Um, you know, their first deer can be a butt buck, and in, in their eyes, it's a monster, really. Uh, it's, it's a real cool experience, and it's something that... Uh, I can't uh, tell you to go do it or force you to go do it, but once you've done it, it's a whole special place in your life every year. Right. Very much so. Very, very much so. So, Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here talking to me on the microphone on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can shoot me an email, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com, or hit me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? couple of places you can always shoot me an email j at bigbuckregistry.com you can always give us a call at 724-613-2825 and if you'd like to participate in the 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 greater of the big buck registry deer hunting podcast we have a tremendous facebook page and that's over at bigbuckregistry.com forward slash facebook uh, we've got some followers on twitter and instagram and likewise it's twitter.com forward slash big buck registry instagram same thing um, you can follow us now on iTunes. So if you're an iTunes user or an Apple user, give us a review. If you like the show, leave us a five star and subscribe to the show. You can also find us on iHeartRadio. That should be out any day now. It's been about three weeks, so uh, we will be featured in iHeartRadio. You can just another great app that you can get on just about every phone you have so you can take this show and go mobile and listen to it in your car or at the gym or wherever wherever you'd like to listen to maybe you're commuting back and forth to work whatever those will it will be available to you in all all kinds of places we're on stitcher uh we're on blueberry we're on lipson we're on pretty much every place podcasts are hanging out that's where we are at um, so I think that's pretty much a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. It is. So I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by USA Trail Games. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.